0: From South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus. Welcome to More People. More People is a new article and podcast series written by Joe Molnar and published on West SB that explores how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. On each episode, I'll be joined by Joe and my South Bend On Purpose co-host, Dustin Mix, to discuss the latest article in the series, how it was received online, and what's coming up next. Welcome to episode one of More People, a new limited series podcast from myself, Dustin Mix, and Joe Molner. If you're not familiar with Joe, or Dustin and I, I guess, Dustin and I are the co-hosts of South Bend On Purpose, and I publish WestSB.com. Joe is new to the podcasting realm here in South Bend. Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Before we get into exactly sure. what More People is.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm a resident of the city. Uh, I was born here. Um, lived basically my whole life here except moving away to college. Um, came back, uh, I think it was 2014. Um, and have been here since. Um, I've got two kids. Um, so I'm living the dream that way. Um, but I, I have a, a good need to learn more about South Bend. It's It's been a fascination of mine. Um, I'm an employee for the city. So I'm the zoning specialist. Um, so I do, I work with development um, and helping people get their projects um, approved and across the finish line. Um, but yeah, that's my story. It's, it's a pretty simple one.
0: Awesome. And you are a fourth generation. Yeah. Fourth generation. Resident,
1: right. So my, my great grandfather moved here um, probably turn of the 20th century, um, very early or very late 1800s um and then my grandfather was born here um and then my father was i am and then i have a daughter and a son so we have five generations now going wow
0: wow and is is am i correct in remembering that your family at least at one point was Living in the like Rum Village area, right? Because your yes. like your descendants are Hungarian, right?
1: Yeah. So the Molnar name um, is very Hungarian, and for anyone listening, in you know, in the South Bend area, it's a very big name around here. Um, I get the mm. question at least daily: Are you related to X? And I never, I never <laughs> am. It's just me and my dad. My dad had mostly sisters, so the names kind of just filtered to me and him. Um, mm. But my grandfather grew up on Napier Street. Um, And that would have been the 1920s to 1940s. Um, And then he, when he, um, after World War II, he moved to the Rum Village neighborhood where my dad was born on Taylor Street, the Our Lady of Hungary uh, area. So he, my dad grew up there um, until uh, he moved, I think, um, you know, when he became an adult and moved away. So that's, that's kind of my touchstone is the Rum Village neighborhood. Um, I went to Our Lady of Hungary kindergarten through eighth grade um, so I spent a lot of time in that neighborhood and that's the neighborhood I, I most associate with. Now, um, I grew up on the the far South side of town. Um, my, mm. my parents did the very traditional, uh, 1990s move to the edge of, you know, suburbia. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then now they've moved back, um, to an apartment in downtown Mishawaka. So they've, you know, they've done the mm. very much the, they have sell your big house and, and move to a city. Uh, perspective but then now i i live on the in the sunny neighborhood which we speak about in the piece a little bit
0: awesome yeah and what did uh like what did your dad and grandpa do for work
1: so at least on that side my dad was a milk delivery person um Mm. but for the factories so not like to the residential neighborhoods but he would go at least according to my dad i never met my grandfather he died in the 80s um 82 i believe before i was born Um, But he would deliver to like Studebaker, um, Bendix, all the big factories, because back then they had huge cafeterias in the factories and he was their milk delivery Mm. person. So he would do those. Um, It's actually fun. My dad always tells me he would do his route, you know, from like 4 a.m. on. And when he'd finish, he'd go to Tom's, which is now L Street yeah um, yeah he would go to tom's and that's where he'd get breakfast and then go home and i believe he <laughs> he worked a couple other jobs he was a carpenter too um on the side i have a lot of pieces in my house that he built which is really cool mm. um but yeah so i, I eat illustrate all the time now and i'm like oh okay it's three generations on this building that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> same building so just slightly different food right and then my dad is wow. a tool and dye maker uh still is um he worked actually for adam's engineering which mm-hmm. it was in the Rum Village neighborhood off of either, I think it was off Calvert. Yeah, off Calvert, just a couple blocks okay. um, east of uh, Our Lady of Hungary School. And that's where he uh, did an apprenticeship to become a tool and die maker.
0: Oh, interesting. Cool. Is that kind of in the, I'm thinking of like Calvert there, east of Lady of Hungary. There was a, so like one of the buildings over there on um, Franklin Street, burnt down like a year ago yes is that kind of in that well, area over there i
1: think so yeah no you're exactly right that's a little more east than near near the main of michigan like main roads um mm-hmm. th- yeah this was just in between yeah this was right around there um it's i think oh, okay. it's, i think yeah. it's just a boarded up building now but um yeah he worked okay. for them for 10 or 15 years and then he's still in die um but outside of the city it's kind of my dad the way he talks about it like cause he grew up, he was born in 57. So this is the seventies, you know, and early, early eighties, he would have been apprenticing. Um, and like tool and die was everywhere in this area. It was a huge Mm. trade. He was in a union. Um, and then now it's, I think it's just a couple companies that are left, um, that are small outfits and they're not unionized anymore. Even.
2: Mm. How did you end up working for the city, Joe, or getting interested to work for the city?
1: Um so I've always uh, so I I went to school in Fort Wayne uh to the University of St. Francis um for political science and history a double major I I always was just interested in history from a very childish level I actually think um I think it it's a product of living in South Bend um but maybe that's psychoanalysis I don't know but I remember being a kid going to Our Lady and at the time um this was before vouchers and so I, by the time I graduated, I was one of six kids, um, who was in our eighth grade class. Um, and the school was like down to like 80, 90 students total. And mm-hmm. my dad would always tell me the stories. Like when he went to our lady, it was like 500 students. And like, mm-hmm. if you're in our lady, it's a huge building. And it was just, was like a ghost. The same with church. Like I was an altar server at church and like, there'd be like 50 people there maybe. And you know, it's this massive church that you'd, you'd, you were always, you always see the photos of hundreds and hundreds of people being there and we would go ride our bikes. Uh, I had a friend who lived off Kemble, um, and I'd stay at his house till my mom could pick me up, um, after school and we'd ride our bikes and we'd go down, um, Kemble and then find our way into the old Studebaker buildings off 23. Um, and mm. just like these, I, these ruins that, I think is right. was was so commonplace to me, but I realize now that like most people didn't have that childhood. Most people didn't grow up with giant looming factories that were empty and like a stark reminder that the world used to look a lot different. Um, yeah, like I remember going to Silverhawk Games with my dad and just driving downtown, and you'd pass, you know, where uh, Ignition Park is now. You mm. know, all of these old buildings that are. Were decrepit, and then you'd go into the stadium and you'd still have the old, you know, Studebaker 84 looming over you with broken out right. windows. As it was just, and you know, as a 12 year old, I was probably cared more about baseball, but like I think over time that like nostalgia kind of creeped into me that just the past matters a lot. Um, maybe and maybe mm-hmm. more than it would if you know you live in a place where it's, it's only 30, everything you see is 20 years younger or younger.
0: Yeah. For sure, but that's how. going. Yeah, I, um, I was to say that I I just so I've uh, just started listening to "Shortest Way Home" for like the first time. Really? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I don't know. I need a therapist to figure out why I couldn't couldn't do it before. But
1: didn't you take uh, the photo?
0: I yeah, <laughs> it's a really weird. That's why I mean we need some professional help to figure out. I mean, uh, neither neither I of us have, have it. read it. <laughs> But you talking about like the way you thought about the abandoned buildings growing up and then that kind of turning into this kind of intrigue with the past and like understanding its, its importance, definitely I um he has a line early on in the book about um these buildings kind of just being the furniture of the of the city um for a kid growing up in South Bend that the um not we don't really think of them as anything kind of significant or and not even really thinking of them as being something in the past. They're just kind of part of the city. And I know that definitely tracked with like my experience growing up. I didn't really, I don't really remember thinking about them too often, except knowing that they were there. And um, like in high school, we would go like if they didn't give us a specific route to run on for cross country or track practice, (laughs) like we would just go run through Buildings, uh, just because they were there, and uh, it wasn't until yeah, I came back after college uh, that started to change the way that I understood them.
1: Yeah, it's a different perspective, I think, than you would expect. I, I it's, it's not surprising thinking about it now, but it's not something mm. that is in that that's right in your face. You know, it was just the background, and now a lot of them are gone. So it'll be interesting right. to see. Um, you know looking back i remember the gigantic buildings that are gone um and now where mm-hmm. there's like i went i remember this was mishawaka but i remember when i was probably one of my first memories is when i was five my dad took me to watch the ball band um factory blow up in mishawaka yeah when they demoed yeah. that um and just like that was just oh okay let's go see a giant factory explode you know yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, my my wife Kristen, uh, she also I believe went to that. Um, but the, it's just the funniest thing because, like, yeah, she's not interested in history much at all and doesn't really know anything about this. But she like she remembers that. Yeah, it's and that's like, kind of her one touch point with like industrial South Bend, Mishawaka.
1: Yeah, and I think and this kind of gets into the to the topic of the series a little bit is you have, like South Bend's about 180 years old as a, mm. as a settled place that we would recognize as, as a city or at least a town, um, obviously generations generations of people here before then. Um, mm-hmm. And that's enough for like seven to eight generations of people who've lived here their whole lives and died here and left their mark on mm-hmm. the place. And I think America is so young in general and the population boomed so much after World War II that so much, so many people grew up in homes that were either the very first or the second people to live in them. That the past is something you read about and is something that you can think about and see photos of, but it's not something mm-hmm. you interact with. But that's just not the case if you live in a city that declined and is smaller than it mm. once was because now that you have less people here, the, the ruins almost like come over you in a way that's just not the case in other places.
0: Mm, that's fascinating to think about. Yeah. Let's like the, like the bricks outnumber the people.
1: Yeah. In, in a way. And it might be, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've been on the East coast and those places have been around, you know, in their current forms for about 400 years. So maybe it's different there. Um, but when I'm thinking of, you know, all these suburbs across the West and the South, and even, you know, even here we, you know, in Indiana, we have Carmel and all these, you know, giant booming areas that are 20, 30 years old as, you know, as something that they are now. Yeah, it's a very American thing just to to get mm. up and keep moving. Um, so, right. So what does what happens to the American psyche when you stop moving?
2: Right. We're in a six month yeah.
1: experiment trying to figure. That yeah, out. exactly. COVID's <laughs> put a whole different realm on that.
0: So, Joe, you reached out to me in May. Uh, look, I'm looking back here on my Twitter DMs. It says May 13th at 440 p.m. <laughs> Uh, You reached out with this kind of question, if I in doing um, the daily uh, This Day in South Bend podcast, if I had come across any articles from the 70s and 80s talking about the census, um, which those were decades when we lost a ton of people. And um, I think you were wondering, like, are there articles that kind of point to how the city dealt with this massive loss of population and uh, particularly with the census coming up right now, that the census is going on, it's ending uh, fairly soon, maybe sooner than uh, it should. And
1: yes, um, fill out your census. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. PSA. Stop right now. Fill out the census.
0: Yeah. The link is on uh, it's on, on the article. website. Yeah. On the yeah on the article. So and uh, I responded that I haven't come across any of those things, but I would be really interested, uh, for you to, uh, chase them down. And, uh, that kind of started this conversation about you, uh, writing this series, which now is called more people, uh, on WestSB, uh, West SB, which, um, we've kind of tagged as, uh, a series about how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. And so we're doing an article series. I mean, I should say you're doing an article series uh, that we are publishing. And then we're going to do a podcast series, which this is the first episode of that. And we're going to do a podcast uh, episode tied to each article, where hopefully we'll like kind of give an overview of what the article was about. Um, people should still go read it, uh, the podcast Probably not a substitution for you going to read the article. They're complimentary. Uh, Yeah, complimentary. And then kind of have a discussion about uh, some of the questions that came up um, for Dustin and I as we read it. And also some of the things that came up in the response to the article going out. Because we're recording this now uh, almost a week after the last article came out. And so we've had time to see all the Facebook comments and the tweets and... uh, (laughs) fascinating to say the least tell us a little bit about in your kind of mind where did this thinking about these things start and when did you start to think about um kind of them being put out into the world as they are now
1: well i've probably been collecting research and thinking about this for a couple years um not at all rigorously just um through my day-to-day like experience, I, um, I've just always been interested in the census and mm. how many people live in South Bend. I don't know why. It's just been a thing I, for the last three or four years, I've been focusing on, um, on Twitter and on Facebook. I'll write about it occasionally, how, you know, South Bend's density is dropped and all, all these other types of topics. So it's always been the back of my mind. Um, I'd be remiss to say I, I have a coworker who's named um, Michael DeVita, who is a brilliant thinker when it comes to some Mm. of this stuff and him and i you know at lunch and other times in the office will especially if we're working on a project in a neighborhood that need you know that has lost a lot of population we'll talk about these uh issues and especially with the census coming up this year it's been more and more on my mind um but the first time i think i ever really thought about writing about it was when you know your podcast was coming out and it was talking about all these different um, stories uh, that were happening and I wondered like well what were people doing when like in the 70s we lost 15,000 people in a decade like mm-hmm. what were I, I imagined it would be a story like you'd you'd see about it all the time and um, you know like you said I reached out to you and you were gracious enough to give me access to you know newspapers.com which has the mm-hmm. backlog of all the Tribune articles so I Part of it was just curiosity too. Like, okay, what, 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 that was the prime drive is what were people actually saying about this? Like, what were the mayors doing in 1974 to combat this? And (laughs) I think what shocked me is it wasn't actually that big of a story. Like, when every, Mm -hmm. every 10 years, you know, when the census would come out, there'd be like not even the dire headlines I was expecting. It was just like South Bend loses people. And there'd be like a quote from the mayor explaining why it wasn't that bad. And then, (laughs) and actually, and we can get into it more when we talk about the article, like they weren't wrong always when they were saying that because it was, and this is something I've really learned over the course of researching it. It it wasn't the type of decline you were expecting where it was people actually leaving. Um, Yeah. But I thought there'd be all this like commotion and the newspaper would have all, you know, I thought there'd be the people freaking out about schools, losing kids and all this stuff and it just isn't really there you really have to dig for it to find it um partly because it was happening all over across the country so even new york Mm -hmm. city lost population in the 70s and 80s um basically every city in the country lost population unless it was a huge um city that really delved into gobbling up its suburbs or was a west coast city like a Phoenix or LA that was deliberately like 600 square miles, which Mm. you can say that's not really a city when it's 600 square miles. Um, So it, it probably was pushed across as something that was okay because it was happening everywhere.
0: Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I picture and kind of hoped there would be that headline that's like, 10,000, flee the city. Yeah. <laughs> Something like, I, like <laughs> it, it feels like that, at least in this history that I've been taught and that's kind of been passed down, that feels kind of commensurate with that. And it feels like we're kind of owed that, that there was that sort of urgency yeah. and
1: uh, I thought, concern. I thought it would have been a concern, um, or at least a, a major topic of the time. Like, oh my gosh, Studebaker closed and now thousands of people are leaving. Like, you think you'd put those two together and it would have, written itself over and over but it really didn't um especially like you said when you're told you know by your parents and sometimes even older generations what the city used to look like it's like well when it was in the process of not looking like that what were people saying and they they were kind of quiet about it
2: So, so tell me this joe so fast forward 50 years like why is it something we should care about now Like what, like what is, like, what is the motivation? Obviously you went from just thinking about this in a curious way to to now writing this story, but I'm curious, like, why is it important?
1: So it's always been a concern of mine that our population dropped by about 30,000 people, about 25%. Um, one, I, it's almost a visceral like reaction to it. You think most people would care, um, but I think from a purely there's two ways to look at it from a purely economic standpoint, it's pretty bad. Um, and we can talk about the article a little bit now, if if that's good with you guys. Because it, it kind of gets yeah. in the two different. So what I found out and I owe um, a planner named Jason Segedy this insight. Um, he's the one who I first realized and this happened on Akron the majority of the decline in population during the 60s, 70s and 80s was not from houses going vacant, not from houses, you know, being torn down and there's just no one in houses. It happened from the sphere, the like the only difference was that families were smaller, um, which was yeah. a large portion of the decline, like a large, large portion of the decline. So what actually happened in South Bend is from 1960 um, when we had our peak population of 132,000 to 2000 to the year 2000, we lost, you know, 25,000 people or something, but we actually had more households in 2000 than we did in 1960, um, mm-hmm. which kind of blew my mind. Cause that's not the story I've been told. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I, when, yeah, when you
0: started to like, send me some of these stats i i remember saying like i've been lied to (laughs) yeah like this whatever we've been told about the the way that this decline happened is just
1: not quite true and it's it's hidden a little bit because that includes you know the city annexing territory and building new neighborhoods wow so okay we built a neighborhood on the south side with 100 homes and we lost you know, 50 homes on the west side, or whatever it was at the time, but it's still net gain. But we didn't annex that much for it to to really change the scope. And I use my neighborhood Sunnymead as an example in the article, where basically the amount of homes is the same. And like today, you can drive down all the you know all seven streets I think that make up Sunnymead. And go up and down, and there's not a vacant house. Every single house I don't right. think a single house has been torn down. The only area is probably along Eddie Street. Some of the bigger houses were converted to like law offices. Mm. But that's like five houses. It's it and today the households I think are four percent less than they there were then. And that can yeah. be just a consequence of there were vacancies in the you know at the time because it was in between buyers or whatever. But we've lost 20% of our population like six mm. sunny had had about 3000 people and now it has about 2400. Um, but you would never think that being here because you know, right. every, every house is there. The lights all come on at night. Everyone takes care of their you know, it, they're all occupied homes. But what happened was at the time okay. of 1960, we had about three and a half people per household. And now we have about two and a half. And yeah. that is enough to just crater your population. In those neighborhoods, um, and I can tell you from example, a couple. I know at least two of my immediate neighbors within a couple of houses that they're single. Their homes with only one person in them, which is fine. They're they're lovely neighbors, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I don't want to come across that, that that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but where probably there was a family of five or six, um, there's now just one person. Um, but from the street, now nothing's not you know nothing's different from the street. But we that's where we lost most of our population in south Bend was that happening all across the city every single neighborhood um and, and that what, was, what does that translate you, to joe
2: like for like well, if we don't have i mean obviously there's places where there are vacant lots but so
1: yeah so that's the first type of decline
2: um that i so let's um like for the
0: purpose of like um if somebody hasn't looked at the article yet can let's zoom out a little okay. bit into like you kind of go through and you kind of describe this in the intro to the first article where you kind of talk about sunnymead a little bit and you kind of zoom out to these three types of neighborhood decline that we experienced in South Bend. Can you kind of yeah. walk us through like, what are those types, which okay. the first type is what we've been talking
1: yeah. about. Yeah. So right? the first type is, is what you think of a stable, you know, quote unquote stable neighborhood still lost 20% of its population purely because families are smaller now. Mm. Um, so that automatically say nothing else happened and Studebaker was still here and every house was still here. Um, we'd, we'd still have 20% less people than we did in 1960 about, yeah. um, which is, which is funny, um, because I think people think it's a negative thing that I've said every neighborhood declined. Um, but if anything, I think it's almost kind of a good thing because it's, this wasn't all concentrated in one part of the city. Um, You know, this was a phenomenon that happened across the country purely for demographics, but that's the first type of decline. Um, The second one, which it it is its own type purely because of the demographics of who moved in there. But there are some neighborhoods on the the southwest side and the southeast side that have had similar decline in population. So about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent, but they've lost a ton of households. And they actually have a couple of, you know, they have vacant lots, they've lost houses, but the families are actually bigger than they were in 1960. Mm -hmm. And those are largely um, the Latinx communities um, who, because they're largely immigrant communities, they just naturally have larger populations. That's happened across the United States' history going back to the founding of the country is new immigrants have always had larger family sizes. And as they um, spend here and as generations happen, the family sizes shrink, but that's actually in 2010, the only places in South Bend that were growing were actually uh, those neighborhoods on the West side that actually grew from 2000 to 2010. um, Even when they were losing houses. Um, So that's the second type where you're still hovering around 20%. um, but it, it, it looks worse than the Sunnymead side because hey, we actually have a couple of vacant homes. Or there's a couple lots that you know no longer have houses. so you think it would actually be larger than 20%. Um, and then the final uh, type is the type I think people think about when they think about Rust Belt cities and you know massive population loss are really concentrated on our near west side um, and then moving uh, along Lincoln Way. Um, and then some areas right on the Southeast side. Um, I'll actually take the Southeast in general, uh, specifically the Southeast neighborhood, which is about where Riley is and North um, that had almost 10,000 people in 1960 and it's close to 2000 now. Oh my God. Uh, wow. So that's, that's 80% type decline. Um, and I don't even talk about that in the piece because I, the numbers um, from the census the, the census tracts changed a bit. So it was hard to do it neatly. Mm. But so that's what we think about when we think of why population loss is bad. Um, so there's, in those neighborhoods were very large Studebaker neighborhoods. Um, they were big working class neighborhoods that over the course of five decades have seen every single decade, there's less and less households there. And the households that remain have less people in them. On average so it's a I, I use the phrase it's a candle being burnt on two ends um
0: yeah i think you you title that section like free fall neighborhoods yeah. and
1: and we don't what's really unfortunate is we don't know if it's stopped we'll we'll find out in this next census if it's accurate which we don't know now if it'll be accurate even um but we we'll, we'll see if it's it's stopped and and i we really hope it does. Um, But yeah, free fall is is the right term because every decade, just losing hundreds and hundreds of houses. Um, And that's where, you know, I think going into this piece, I thought we'd have more of that as the cause of it all. Um, Mm. But it it really, if we just had those neighborhoods, um, the population loss would be only about six or 7,000. But because it's that six or 7,000, that is pure loss. Like There are just less homes available to even live in now. Um, and then you add to that all the other neighborhoods we talked about where decline happened because of demographics. Um, that's how you get to the 25% number.
0: Right. And so can you talk a little bit about the scale here of the loss? Like we've talked a little bit about zooming in on like Sunnymead Mead and, and like the 20% loss and um, the Southeast neighborhood. But in the title for the intro, we kind of titled it How South Bend Lost 50,000 People in 50 Years. And I know that's one thing that we knew we would get questions about. And sure enough, we did this 50,000 number, because what kind of the received uh, wisdom is that we went from 130,000 people to 100,000 now. And yeah. so can you explain where this 50,000 number comes from?
1: Yeah, so uh, you're exactly right. I think the number people have in their head is about 30,000, which is right, um, that we've lost officially from 1960 to 2010. But what that number actually doesn't totally encapsulate is that includes all the areas from 1960 to 2010 that we've annexed. So the city Mm -hmm. has since 1960 annexed large portions of the South Side um, near the fairgrounds um lafayette falls neighborhood it's also done a lot of annexations in the north the far far northwest so german township Mm. out past the airport subdivisions that are now in the city limits um so those are pure gain from the city perspective since 1960 because they didn't exist before so if you Mm. look at the city limits um as it stood in 1960 and you just look at those areas and you don't count the areas we've added since then. And you see how many people they lost. It's about 47,000 people, um, which is just insane, um, the yeah. amount of loss. It's about a third instead of about a quarter. Um, and, and what really is amazing is we've done all this annexation and we've only added 14,000 people from those annexed areas um, and it yeah. hasn't even come close to stemming the loss we've had in the central city. And in the piece um, there's a map that the city put together in 2013 and it's from 1970. So it misses a decade and it would be even more red. Um, but it shows all the areas that have lost population since 1970. And it's basically the center of the city is all red. And as you get closer to the fringes, it's blue and all those blue are areas that, or farmland or whatever, you know, in 1960, 1970. Um, so that's where we get the 50,000 number is from purely if the city wouldn't have annexed anything. It would only have a population of about 85,000 today in the same geographic limit that it used to have 132. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Something you can sense when you are in the core part of the city. You
1: know. Yeah. And it's even and now that I know, it's almost I can tell in Sunnymead. Um, because it's like, you'd see photos of, of all South Bend neighborhoods from, you know, this time right after the world war, I've seen photos of Sunnymead, and there's kids everywhere. Um, you know, that just every house had kids. Um, mm. and so I can imagine, you know, my, my block, I have two kids. Um, and there's a, there's a, you know, sunny Mead actually is probably one of the neighborhoods that has more families than average cause they're how they're their houses not only apartments and it's still you know the vast majority of houses don't have children and you, you don't see those neighbors very often so it it still feels kind of empty um now and now that i know it i think it's almost reinforced upon itself right and yeah. i and i think i, yeah, I don't also and i want to and someone in my neighborhood actually asked me about this and they said well it's just children and specifically speaking about the sunny Mead part like if it's just children. Does it really affect the city? And I, I have a couple of responses to that. Um, well, one, children are people, and children are good for cities. Um, children are, are the next I mean, generation. We literally, a lot of
0: money to run the schools. Yes. Uh, for these children who are people.
1: Are, I mean, are,
2: you both were also at one time children. Exactly.
1: That's like, well, you know, yes. and I cities are. Are becoming a, and this is a larger critique of cities, especially the East coast cities, they're coming a place where you can't even have children because it's so expensive. Mm. So for one, we don't want to be a place like that where you want to be a place where anyone can live, family, single person, older, you know, elderly couple. We, you want f- a place where anyone can want to live because that makes the most dynamic and most interesting city to live in. Mm. Two, we build a school system based off that 1960 population of children. So regardless of if um, it really affects the income because, you know, they weren't generally, they are still were going to those schools and the people were still invested in those schools um, that are no longer there. And, and we've seen you know school closures happen locally, of course, and this is part of the reason. Um, but then third is it, it's also not just kids, because like I said, I have neighbors who just have one person living in the house, you know. And where it would always at least have been two adults back in 1960 and earlier. Um, And that's two adults participating in the civic life of the city where you only have one now, Um, not even just Mm -hmm. from purely going out and having a job and participating in the labor market, but just, you know, going and being a part of the city, having ideas, talking to neighbors. You know, if you cut that, even if only a few of those houses where it's mostly, okay, you can call it children, but now if you actually factor in, oh, well, there's also a lot of people, just one person living there where there used to be five. That's a huge effect on the neighborhood. Um, and I, again, I don't criticize anyone who wants to own a home by themselves. That's purely fine. Where the city, I think, had issues is it didn't do anything to make it so more people could live in Sunny Mead.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing we
0: talked about too with this, because um, you had told me that you had got this response a little bit about, well, is it is it just kids, and then why is that a big deal? It also kind of shows this um, accepted belief that the kids leave,
1: exactly, and
0: um, that the kids don't become adults, and then in this person's mind count uh, in the you know the official yeah popular
1: yeah it's 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 all it's a very funny response because it's like well you need people to have your your city 50 years from now and, and where are you going to get them if you if you're riding off not having children in neighborhoods anymore you know right. I, I i don't i just don't subscribe to that train of thought so I, it is it is interesting is it's almost a default well they all grew up and they left um and that's okay um it was that's the mindset and i i think what one piece of information i came across during the research of it was even in 1970, um, Jack Caldwell, who's still around writing great articles, um, he noted that the population from 20 to 34 in the city um, declined from 1960 to 1970. So it was already then in the 60s happening Mm -hmm. where, and I, I speak about this in the article with hypotheticals, where kids they went off to vietnam and they never came back um either you know because they're tragically Mm -hmm. lost over there or they just when they moved back they didn't move back to the city um they got jobs and left the area you know it it, if you can't retain the people that grew up here how are you going to attract people to come here
0: (laughs) yeah that's a yeah that's a good point i mean yeah i think uh, people who've listened to Dustin and i talking enough know that we're not, um, super bullish on the, like, we're going to convince people to, uh, convince like masses of people to relocate. Um, At least not to South California. They've never been here before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not from California. Uh, but that, you know, like people like you and I who grew up here, um, and I mean, I left for college and there was a pretty good likelihood that I wasn't going to come back here, but, uh, we're the best people to, uh, or the not the best necessarily, but the most likely. Yeah. If, uh, if you're looking to uh, want to come home.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a, there, there's definitely a part of, I think everyone should, should maybe get away for a while. You know, I like, you said, I went to college too away and that's fine. Um, but if you want to be able to build a city and have a city where people liked it growing up and they want that for their lives going forward, if they have kids or not even, um, you know, they just want to be a part of their home. And I think that's, that's something we can be kind of sheepish about saying, you know, we actively want that. Um, but it's true. If, if we want to build a city that people want to live in and people want to live here, um, the, the, the best people to try to attract, at least the easiest are the ones who already did it for a while. Right. And right. if you have less of them, you have less of a future to try to attract.
2: Right. I'm curious, Joe. Um, so this, this thesis that we talked a little bit about, with these like three different types of decline we talked at the beginning of, of this recording about like how in some ways this decline was happening everywhere. Um, you know, obviously population in the U S was growing overall. Yes. Um, but you had a kind of flight out of cities. So I'm curious, like with these three models in types of decline, like it, have other cities experienced the same thing? Like is, is South Bend different in this respect? Um, or, and if so, like why does it seem to have been worse here? Or, or is that sure. a something we can answer right now?
1: So in some ways South Bend is not at all unique in this. Um, but no two cities the same. And just because they've had similar forces on them doesn't mean that you'd expect the same response. There's a lot of rust built. And I use that term, not as a derogative at all. Um, there's a lot of cities in the Midwest who used to have in- large in- industries in them who had very tight packed housing around those industries who have experienced very, very similar things to us. Um, tons of cities in Ohio. So every, basically every city in Ohio, except for Columbus has experienced this. Cincinnati, Akron, Dayton, Cleveland. They all have smaller populations than they used to. Um, obviously there's Detroit, which is kind of, the American, you know, idea of population decline. Um, but there's St. Louis, Minneapolis, you know, we hear about how Minneapolis, you know, especially now with the riots, but we had, heard, you know, is, is kind of a, a city that maybe had to figure it out. And then now is realizing it didn't, it still has hundreds of thousands of less people than it used to. So this is in no way unique. And I, it was almost inevitable at some point, because like I said, the average household size declined so much. Um So you went from the baby boom where the United States had about three and a half people per house, and now through the years we've fallen to two and a half. Well, cities, even though they do annex and they do grow, they're kind of static beings. Like they only have as much space as they have, and a lot of cities might be landlocked. like they have cities all around them or suburbs all around them, so they can't even grow anymore. And if you don't add housing units, you're in your but your population per house is falling you're going to lose people it's just inevitable um where south bend is also unique though is you know obviously the decline the third type of decline where it is we've lost houses we've lost whole neighborhoods and almost in some places um that is a very severe trauma that we've experienced that a few others have um again, Akron, Detroit have experienced that. I talked about the Southeast neighborhood losing like 8,000 people. Um, that's like Detroit level collapse of a neighborhood um, that you'd hear about. And uh, that's unique. And what, I, what happened in South Bend, um, I just don't think people get how closely tied some of these neighborhoods were to the factories. Um, and when the factories left, there was the neighborhood really lost its center and all while this was happening. So the jobs were slowly disappearing. And then the, what people wanted out of a neighborhood changed, you know, people wanted ranches starting in the seventies. They wanted land. So they wanted to be, you know, they want, they didn't want a tiny city lot. They wanted a lot of space for Mm -hmm. their kids to run around um, they wanted a two-stall garage that's attached, and because South Bend had grew up in the nineteen, you know, in the teens and the twenties, we just didn't have that housing stock available. So even if people liked their neighborhood and wanted to stay, they were lured to the suburbs of even St. Joe County. St. Joe County today has more people than it ever has before in its history. <laughs> it's it is when not. I, when like, I heard that stat, I was it was very like, interesting. It's hard to like believe like, every this time this is the boom time of st joe county if you want to like <laughs> so it's not it's and we're gonna have I, to do
2: another podcast called more people <laughs> It's just <laughs> boom,
1: down. <that> <laughs> boom down st joe county <laughs> um yeah the that's one thing i think we got some pushback on the article was oh well the jobs left and in some way, that's very true, especially those, like I said, those west side neighborhoods that, that were very tied to factories. That's very true. The jobs left. But I, th- the, even if the jobs were still there, even if those factories were still humming, there's a very good chance a lot of those neighborhoods still would have lost a lot of people for two reasons. One was the housing stock just wasn't what people wanted anymore. And two, there are a lot of racial side effects and racial systemic racist policies that hurt these neighborhoods that made disinvestment in these neighborhoods possible so that even if someone mm. wanted to keep up the neighborhood they didn't have the financial resources to do so mm. um but it's not like when Studebaker closed and all these and Bendix shrank and South Bend Toy closed again it's not that people fled St. Joe County Sure, some people did. I'm sure there were a lot of responses to the article saying, yeah, I moved to Arizona or I moved to Florida because people move and that just happens everywhere. Um, But St. Joe County has more people than it did at the height of Studebaker. You know, Mishawaka right now has more people than it's ever had before in its history. So it's not necessary that this had to happen to South Bend. Um, because Studebaker closed, there is a world that exists, um, where Studebaker closed and all this still happened, but policies and cultural norms didn't shift so much. And South Bend still has 150,000 people or has 150,000 people. Yeah.
2: Can you, can you map Joe just real quickly so people can get an idea? I I don't know if you have these numbers off the tip of your head, but you know, a lot of this is based on census data, um, which we talked about Fill out your census so we can keep doing things like this. Um, But in terms of like decades, so like 60s to like the 60s, the 70s, 80s, like was this like a linear just like it kept dropping or you mentioned like some decades were different than others?
1: Okay. So this is, and this is, so I guess this will be kind of a sneak peek to the next article we're talking about. But there's actually, there's two very different types of decline that South Bend has experienced um, when you look at the whole big picture. The night from 1960 to 1990, the city lost about 30,000 people. That's you know we we were down to I think about 105,000 in 1990. Yeah, so in 1990, the city had fallen to 105,000 people. Um, but something very interesting happened in the 90s. We actually gained population. So from 1960 to 1990, the decline was 100 percent because the population per household fell from 3.24 to 2.5 so where a house on average had three people and a little more now was to two and a half people Um, but we had more households than ever before in 1990 and then in 2000 something crazy happened and we gained about 700 households Um, a lot of that was annexation on the south side and our population per household actually rose a tiny, tiny bit for the first time, probably in the city's history. So we bottomed out where, okay, it's about two and a half people is where um, the bottom kind of sat for that population per household. So if if you were looking at it at 2000, there was a lot to be encouraged about in the city, even if people at the time maybe didn't think about it um, because we had more households than we had ever had before. And the population was growing again for the first time in almost half a century. And then the 2000 to 2010 decade was a utter disaster for the city. Um, We lost for the first time in our history households. So it wasn't just, there were less people per house. It was there were less houses total. It went from about 43,000 to under 40. So we lost over 3000 houses. Um, And if you think about that as a decade, that means for every year for about a decade, there were 300 people or 300 households leaving the city. Um, 300 vacant homes, 300 empty apartments every year that were never replaced or never filled up again. And even though our population per household still kept inching up a tiny bit from the bottom, that was the worst decade um, by far for the city. And I think... That's a framework that it's not how we're told the city's collapse came. Um At least population wise, we're told, oh, it was the 70s, the 60s, the 80s, you know, when all the industry was leaving. Um, but from a purely if you look at it from a purely population perspective, the bottom was 2010 and it was much, much worse than anything that happened in the 20th century.
0: Yeah, it's. Very disorienting because – so like my family moved here in 2001 and at least in my mind, the collapse was done and over at that point. Yeah, mine too. And now like – yeah, when you shared – like we're sharing this information and saying that those 10 years, 2000 to 2010, is kind of the worst of the collapse. It's just hard to – square with um at least my understanding of the city when we moved here that it was just this collapse happened not even in the 90s like a long time ago and it's just been a like a kind of a bummed out place since um and that like to me that time period 2000 2010 like i would have just described as kind of stagnant
1: yeah i mean i think I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around because they, f- they think the economic collapse and the population collapse would go hand in hand.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but they
1: really don't because you can live in South Bend and work in Mishawaka. You can live mm-hmm. in Mishawaka and work in South Bend. So the two aren't always quite tied together. Um, mm-hmm. When you're really looking at the city of South Bend and what is what, like you said, is what's shocking. At least when I started reading this is how bad the two thousands were. I mean, I mean, like I said, that's where the vacancy and abandoned houses problem came from, was because from 2000 to 2010, we lost 3,500 houses. And my guess is, if we mapped that, a very large portion would be in the neighborhoods that were on the west side and on the southeast side. Mm. Um, and I th- I think that's just hard for people to wrap around because they they think it all happened when Studebaker closed, and that and that was... And economically there, there might be that argument. Um, They also, we also seen the photos of downtown, you know, urban renewal, which, um, you know, was this project to, to clean downtown up, to remove all these old derelict buildings and build new. But what they did is they tore them down and no new buildings came. And the ones that, and the ones that did come weren't the best, you know, urban buildings. Um, They were sometimes suburban in design, but smack dab in downtown. All that was happening in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So there's this idea that well that had to have happened with the population, but the the population still stayed. It didn't go anywhere until the 2000s where you actually start mm. seeing the number of households declining for the first time in in 200 years.
2: So if people are interested in this, you're going to have to read article number 2 because I believe that's yes. a big part of it,
1: yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be hard to it's a it's a hard circled square because um Yes, Studebaker and all those factories collapsing was very bad for the city. I'm not trying to sugarcoat that or say, oh, that didn't actually matter at all. Um, But the city actually weathered that okay for the time being. Um, But then it was when the Great Recession hit um, and the real estate crisis hit that, well, the city which had hung on and these neighborhoods which were hanging on, which had lost their economic base because, you know, like I said, a lot of these neighborhoods were built up around the factories. Well, in 1999, most of the houses were still there, or at least a lot of them were. And the people, you know, weren't working at those factories anymore, but they, they still had income and they were still, you know, able to keep the neighborhoods intact. Well, what happened in 2007, 2008 is when the real estate busted these houses became essentially worth nothing to the point where you couldn't get a mortgage anymore to live in your house, or you couldn't even fix, it made no sense at all to fix your house because even if you put 50 grand into it, it'd be worth 10 grand. Um, and that's really where this, this massive decline in households happen. Right.
2: This, this is interesting, Joe. Cause so one of the questions I had down here to ask you about was, was kind of like more broad about your process, not just this article, but but the whole series is like this idea of how are you thinking about the combination of, of both data, which we've talked a lot about here and stories. And I was thinking about it more in terms of like you collecting stories from people about these topics, but listening to you say this now, I'm also thinking about like, how do you think about the intersection of data and these more broader, like, like historical arcs or stories that seem to exist in South Bend about the different reasons this happened that in some ways seem like in direct conflict with what a lot of the data is saying.
1: I think, I think it's very interesting because everyone lives one life and they know their own life experience. Um, So if your life experience is that like my, like my dad who grew up in rum village and he had five brothers and sisters all grew up in a two-story house on Taylor Street in Rome Village. Um, no No one from that family lives in that neighborhood today that I know of. I'm almost positive no one does. They all moved, but almost all of them still live in St. Joe County. But that house is still there, and it's still occupied by somebody. So I think we have this idea as well. My family moved away. Well, most of the time, another family came in behind you and lived there. Um, and I think that's part of it is I think a lot of people think, well, my dad worked for Studebaker, Studebaker closed, we moved to Mishawaka or we moved, you know, out of state. Well, most of the time there was at least a family that came in behind you. Um, it's only very recently where that wasn't the case, where that these people, that these houses were left, um. And I think when it comes to stories, I think it's easy to get lost in the numbers. And I'm probably guilty of doing that sometimes. Um, But every one of these numbers is a person and it is a a human being that has dignity. And I think it's it's hard when your neighborhood is shaded deep red on a map Um, and when there's a lot of history. and, And one thing we haven't really talked about is the racial aspects of this, you know, south bend like every city in the country in the 1930s was redlined um you know i the map will probably be up on one of the articles at some point that you can look at the i think it's 1934 the map that they came up with where they basically took the whole city of south bend and mishawaka and they picked four colors and the areas that were red basically told the banks don't even bother giving anyone loans for those houses um and those, unfortunately, were largely neighborhoods by design that had African Americans in it. Um, and now we're sitting here, 80 years later or 90 years later, and it's these neighborhoods that suffered the most. Well, that that happened for a reason, um, and we shouldn't shy away from that. Like Sunnymead, because I talked about Sunnymead State civil. Sunnymead was a green neighborhood, quote unquote, green neighborhood. It was okay for banks to give loans. River Park was a blue neighborhood. Which was one step below. Well, there's a reason River Park, which has very, very similar housing stock to a lot of the neighborhoods on the west side, you know, very similar time frame of the nineteen teens that grew up. Well, there's a reason that neighborhood stayed intact and a lot of the ones on the west side didn't. And it you can trace a lot of it back to racist policies. And that's I think what get lost sometimes in the numbers is, yeah. is the fact that a lot of this decline that happened to South Bend did not happen by accident. These were policy choices that were made um, both intentionally and unintentionally that did a lot of harm to the city. Um, yeah. That did a lot of yeah,
0: harm. You were talking about Dustin was talking about kind of, how do you kind of square some of like the data with the stories or how do you think about like, those playing together and it brought to mind some of the responses to the article and you know, a lot that were kind of some of the um, things that were to be expected. But I remembered this one comment that I wanted to read um, that I found to be an interesting one because it was someone who was clearly trying to like hear what you were saying and see that you had, you were looking at like numbers and, data and drawing conclusions from that, but trying to square that with our own experience. So this was John Campbell on Facebook and it says, I believe another factor was the proliferation of cheap subdivision housing, accelerating the move to the County from 1950 to 2019. The County population went from 205,000 to 270,000. I know my personal decision to live outside South Bend was based on a nice new big house on open land with much cheaper taxes. I agree other factors played in. I remember closing local schools and the effect on neighborhood sense of community. South Bend was in Studebaker hangover for many years, but I love the town and location much better today. And I thought that was an interesting, like kind of uh, comment in this realm of, yeah, that like you were saying that people live one life and they know kind of their reasons for doing what they did or like moving outside of South Bend or things like that. Um, But that in some ways this like this data and information that in this research that you've done is pointing a different direction than a lot of those stories seem to tell.
1: Yeah, the data, what I think it shows is that there was that happening where people were literally, I used to live in the city and I bought a house in Clay Township or in Penn Township outside any city limits um, on, you know, quarter acre of land on a cul-de-sac. That happened a lot. Um, a lot of neighborhoods in South Bend had lost their kids when they grew up to that. Um, but what the data I think then shows is that those houses that those kids usually came from didn't disappear. they were still occupied. they were just occupied by smaller families. Mm-hmm. and South Bend grew enough it was still growing every decade by household. So what was happening and I in the next piece again will speak to this a little bit is um, every decade, especially the south side and like I said the far northwest, they were building new subdivisions that were inside the city limits. And they were building them at a faster rate to make up for any of the vacancies that were happening in the old historic, you know, historic 1960 Mm -hmm. South Bend. Um, That happened at just too slow of a clip to make up for the fact that the households that remained didn't have as much people as they used to. And what was interesting is even looking at this, broadening it out back to the, you know, as far as we can go, we have population per household data back to 1940. And this was even happening then. Um, The only difference is the city was growing so fast that it made up for the fact that there were less people per house. What happened in starting in the 60s, and this is where you can bring in the economics of it, is well, there were less job opportunities, is the city was still growing, but it just wasn't growing fast enough. Um, and then what happened in 2000 is it actually stopped growing and it contracted. And that's that's why it got that's why when we talk about these neighborhoods and and we can see these houses that we can look at aerials today of like you can look at satellite pictures of neighborhoods in 1998. And yeah, there were a couple of vacant houses, but then you go to today and it's like half the neighborhood's gone. And that really right. happened in the last 20 years, not in the last 60 years. But it, but it is true that, so say if, if South Bend would have done what Fort Wayne did, which has a Dustin, you talked about, did this happen anywhere else? Well, Fort Wayne did contract for one decade, but what they did is they kept annexing and annexing and annexing to the fact that Fort Wayne doesn't have an equivalent to Granger or Mishawaka. It's just all Fort Wayne. Basically all of a large, large chunk of Allen County is Fort Wayne Mm. city limits Um, and that, so their Granger is in their city limits. Um, they didn't have a Mishawaka (laughs) to compete with either. So they basically kept, as they grew outward, they just got up. I've been told part of the reason that happened in, in Fort Wayne and not here. And I don't know if this is. 100% true, but it it smells true. Is that the soil type is different in Fort Wayne in Allen County, and it's much harder to get a permit for a septic and a well because the soil just they leak into each other too frequently. So it was Mm. this the health departments only allowed them to be on city water and city sewer. And once they once neighborhoods agreed to go to city water and city sewer, they couldn't refuse annexation. Um, So today Fort Wayne should be an
2: article or an episode itself.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So today, you know, Fort Wayne sits at like 250,000 people where I think Mm. in 1960, it only had like 160. So it was much closer to South Bend. Um, And obviously they Allen County in general has done better economically than St. Joe County. Um, But the reason Fort Wayne grew so much is because it just annexed like crazy compared to South Bend, which really was much more minimal. Hmm. Interesting. You know, South Bend never went really north of Notre Dame. You know, all the neighborhoods in Clay Township, um, which is in the South Bend school district, which is the interesting part. um, But they're not in the city limits. So they're not counted as city population, even though they're very much they have South Bend addresses. This is a comment we get a lot um, when when elections come up is people get frustrated when they can't vote for mayor or they can't vote for city council. But they say they have they live in South Bend because they have a South Bend address. Because mm. they don't live in the city limits, they only have a South Bend address because that's the closest post office.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I grew up in Lydic, and we had a South Bend address, but um, we were definitely like we were maybe like three quarters of a mile or like a mile outside of the city limits. Yeah, but yeah, it it was uh yeah always very confusing and I think
1: to me. if on paper if South Bend said had taken a different tact and had really annexed those, you know, aggressively. And um, back then it was easier to do in the sixties and seventies. It was easier for cities per state law to do it. Now there's a lot of restrictions on it. The, the on the ground, um, the on the ground housing wouldn't look that much different, but we'd have like 120,000 people in the city and it would look a lot better on paper. But is that really what matters? I don't know. I don't think from a from one standpoint, you'd have more taxpayers, you'd have a larger base. But at the same time, a lot of those housing units are really spread out and built in a way that they don't sometimes pay for even the road that they sit on. Um, so it it's a double edged sword annexations. Yeah. So
0: we put out both of these, the intro and the first article last week one on Monday and then one on Thursday. And at least from my standpoint, it was a bit of a whirlwind of a week <laughs> with, cause they both got a, a fairly large response. Um, just a outrageous amount of people uh, yeah. reading them. And more than uh, we thought for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean way more than we thought. Um, it's definitely like pushing some, buttons for people uh good and bad Mm -hmm. um so i guess my first question with like the response to it is like what was um it was there something that was the most surprising about the response to it aside from the fact that it was just
1: yeah a lot (laughs) well i think yeah the the one it, it was shared so much and so many people read it have read it and it's only a week old um was probably the number one uh Purely. And I think that kind of leads into the second thing is how passionate people are about it. Um, yeah. and I think I, this is a good point for me to say too. I, I'm not trying to criticize anybody through these pieces. Um, city leaders made decisions, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that, that were responsible for some of this collapse, but hindsight is 2020. And I don't know if I would have done anything differently. Um, than them. If I were to give me a choice, I don't know if I would, would not move from the city in 1960. You know, I don't, I don't want to criticize anyone's personal decisions for their lives and their families. Um, and I think sometimes people get a little cagey about that. Um, and I just want to put that out there that everyone has reasons for what they did. The only thing I won't defend are, you know, obviously the racial structures that disinvested a lot of our, you know, African-American neighborhoods that Right. That's we still are living with today, and and those people still are. Um, but I think what what's interesting is how easy people make the jump to oh we lost population because Studebaker closed, and yeah. all the good paying jobs are gone. And I or the weather or they have a really simple reason for why this happened. You know, weather it stinks to live here, um, crime. Jobs, they 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 latch on to these things that I think to them make sense. But when you really think about it, it doesn't. If the weather is so bad that no one wants to live in South Bend, how does St. Joe County have more people than ever? Because <laughs> the weather's the same in Granger as it is in South Bend, and the weather's the same in Mishawaka as it is in South Bend. Or if yeah. you know, if the economy, yes, does play a very big role in it, especially in city finances when you know you have businesses going out of business. And those property taxes are leaving, but the Saint Joe, and we'll hear it all the time from people who really push a regional perspective. Um, the Saint Joseph County, how you know, employment market is the same for someone living in Mishawaka or South Bend. You know, we have, we have basically one um, labor economy between Saint Joe County and even kind of bleeding into Elkhart now the two have have kind of merged into one where i have a lot of people i know who work in Elkhart or you know live in Elkhart and work here um but mishawaka didn't lose a quarter of its population you know right. so that i think is is a very interesting response is in some ways it's very true that there are these lingering effects of the economy, but at the same time is it does. It did not Studebaker could have closed and South Bend could have kept gaining people, you know, Fort Wayne used, like I talked about before, Fort Wayne had a gigantic GE plant, like employing thousands and thousands of people right in their downtown. And it's gone now. And it's like, become, I, I believe it's become a park um, but Fort Wayne has more people than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it, And I think we chatted about this a little bit as the article was released and people were responding to it, that it seems that there is a lot of response from people who care about South Bend and would kind of um, say that, like, I care about South Bend and I care about what happens there and that it prospers. Um, But then I have to kind of square that with leaving and them not being there and that um, pointing to these bigger forces like crime and Schools, Studebaker
1: and, yeah.
0: are yeah are kind of um acceptable and reasonable um ways of explaining um their personal decision in like a larger context that kind of removes um responsibility
1: yeah. In a way. And I think and again that's where it, it it's it's a very you know we're talking about it can be interesting. It can be just a nice article to read. Um, I hope it's written in a way that is, you know, just interesting, but it's also really, really important. And mm. when that importance, I think, is recognized, it can become very defensive because when you talk about someplace lost, South Bend lost people. It lost the money that those people had and it lost the stability that was brought out. Kids today grow up in neighborhoods that have disinvestment and have less opportunities because of that. They go to schools that are half empty because of this problem that we have. And somewhere else that didn't happen or it there was growth because of South Bend's loss. Mm. Um, South, and, and again, I'll just put it in numbers and then people can think about it, what they want. St. Joe County has gained about 30,000 people since this time period, 1960 and South Bend has lost 30,000 people, but those two numbers should be combined. So really what happened is everything outside of South Bend gained 60,000 people and everything inside South Bend lost 30,000, or at least inside the areas that became under the jurisdiction. So, A lot of it is people left South Bend for Granger and Mishawaka in the unincorporated areas of, of St. Joe County that don't have a name. Um, Mm. and they left South Bend and there were dire consequences for that. Right. And we're, we're, and it's, they were trends that were happening nationally. So the suburbanization movement to move out of cities, to move to the cul-de-sac with, you know, quarter acre of land um, that happened all over the country. It's not unique. To, those desires for people to do that right. weren't unique to Sancho Joe County. Um, the decline in manufacturing, as we all know, anyone who's paid attention to presidential politics has heard about it a lot. That was not unique at all to Sancho County. If anything, South Bend was a harbinger of what was to come. We experienced our collapse in the sixties and seventies when it came to manufacturing where a lot of other places hang, hung on until the eighties and nineties and even further, and then are now experiencing it. Mm. Um, and it's all, it's these South Bend was up against these Titanic forces of primarily two things, suburbanization and deindustrialization, And there were going to be losers to those forces. Um, and South Bend came out on that end that lost, um, like i said it by 2000 though it looked like we had weathered it um but it it might have been papered over and then when we had our first real collect, you know the great recession hit the housing crisis hit and houses really lost value these houses that were just hanging on as you know 40 50 60 70,000 dollar houses became where you couldn't pay someone to to own them um, right that's when it we really had to face what happened, and that's when we lost another six thousand people and three thousand households. Um,
2: Something I'm thinking about now, as you as you talk, Joe, is you know this idea of you know how it affects an individual differently in some ways, or how the forces work on an individual are very different than how it works on a city. And it, Jake, it actually reminds me of a conversation we had with Dave Matthews on South Bend on Purpose where you get to the point where you know I would never blame anybody for like moving or deciding not to live in South Bend for example because of their you know their children want to go to a certain standard of school or they want their children to go to a certain standard of school or you know those kinds of choices that make it very real for your your family um, but then you get that kind of collective active collective action problem where if nobody does it you know uh, it spirals out of control and i remember dave talked about this in terms of kind of real estate development, but basically like you need some irrational people, you know, some people who, who make decisions to stay in the face of it, not necessarily being the most logical on an individual basis. Um, and it actually reminds me of how part of this conversation started today, where you're talking about the kids, right? So like the idea of people like you, Jake and you, Joe, deciding to stay on for some reasons, which are not quote unquote logical, right? Like for some reasons that are not easy to capture with a calculus of where am I going to make the most money or where are the best schools or where are the property taxes, the lowest. Um, but more ha- that has to do with, you know, a central theme to I think West SB and Jake's work and what we try to do is health on purpose, which is like the idea of community, um, and these other forces that happen within a city when you have some density. So it's just interesting to me thinking about that difference in, in decision-making and how building some of those ties between people that are not, um, your standard, like economic ties or things, uh, actually can have a huge probably effect in how you either stop this from happening or turn it back around. Which I, I would
0: say though, that like the idea that if we take the school example, I think the idea that, Staying here and having your kids in like southern schools as irrational, I think, is just um, kind of a result of the way we approach life, kind of as individual Americans in the first place, mm-hmm. and that that's not necessarily. I don't know that it has to be irrational. Yeah, I, I guess thing that like it actually could be really rational that we're like, well, if I do this, that person does this too. And like, then we feel much better together.
2: Yeah. I guess what I mean is like the, the kind of individual optimization, you know, that, that I think commonly happens.
1: And I think there's, so this is kind of part of why this happened is there were a lot of things people told or told about what you need to get out of your children's education, what you need Mm. to have as a house. You know, if you make it in the world, you had a two stall garage, three stall garage attached on a big piece of land on a quiet street. Um, That was rational is what the the narrative became largely because people wanted to sell houses. (laughs) Um, I don't know if, going back, if we could have said, oh, what if we changed rational to, it's rational to want to grow up in the neighborhood that you grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's rational yeah. to want to keep the small bakery that your grandpa started open, open. Mm. Even if economically it it's struggling. Um, you know, my, we talked about my dad growing up in rum village and the, the number of stores there and and how no one from that family lives there now. Well, because they were told move on to bigger, better things. It's rational to do all these other things. But what if we had said it's rational to improve where you are now to, to Mm -hmm. take that two bedroom home and add on to the back and, um, you know, build a basement with a, you know, and keep building on it, which is what happened in a lot of throughout history and a lot of other cities. Um, but because South Bend and all these other cities in the United States came of a time in the 1960s and 1970s, where for post-war and there was just all this new energy and people wanted to get out of the cities and start fresh, um, it, it became, like you said, rational to leave when you can make the argument it was the most irrational thing for people to do. Um, because I think St. Joe County would be a better place today for everybody in it if South Bend had not lost 30,000 people. Mm -hmm. I think we'd have more stores that were interesting. I think we'd have more interesting restaurants. I think it'd be a safer place to live. Um, What happens in a lot of these communities is, so we talked about crime was the reason people wanted to leave. Well, the more people, when they leave, there's less people watching the street and there's less people walking around just doing day-to-day activities. So crime is available um, to happen. And so it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point.
0: Right. Yeah. And I definitely think this idea of there being um, a possibility in the past of of being a different kind of rational, I think is really interesting. And I think instructive today, like how we think Mm -hmm. about going about life today and, and how we think about moving forward from this. I think that was like the thing that was the most interesting to me when I moved back is that I didn't really want to move back. It didn't seem rational, but, uh, it was like, um, once I was here, what was rational started to be evaluated on like a different set of, um, qualifications. Um, and being where I grew up, uh, like you were saying, like that turned out to have a lot of value to me. And, um, become really important and yeah suddenly doing those sorts of things is uh perfectly rational and uh probably exactly what i should be doing um that is not what i kind of grew up understanding
1: no though. and i it's not a it's just not an american idea yet but that doesn't mean it can't become one one day um i think it'll be very interesting moving forward we are seeing for the first time ever america's overall population growth is really really slowing um it's already Mm -hmm. to the point where the people who live here don't have enough children to replace ourselves and the only reason it keeps growing is immigration which has slowed very dramatically during this recent administration and then the coronavirus has ended it um, I was actually reading an article yesterday where they're expecting we'll have 500,000 less Americans than we would have thought we would have with no coronavirus um, wow. because of people having deciding to have less children, deaths increasing, obviously. Um, so it, it'll be very interesting when the country faces this problem that the city had to face for half a century. Yeah. Um, it'll be very interesting for these cities that are boom towns. Um, one thing I, I think about a lot is places like Carmel and Granger, which have grown up as quote unquote, you know, bedroom communities grain or Carmel's trying to do more to become its own actual town and city. But they are places where the idea is you go there and you live when you have children so they can go to really good schools that, you know, the house is going to stay valuable and then, your children leave your, your two to three children leave. And a lot of times people don't want to keep that big house because it's either sad because it's a five bedroom house. That's empty with just you and your spouse, or maybe just you. Um, What happens when these neighborhoods start to have that decline in population per household that South Bend had? Um, I think we might be seeing that in the next decade or two, especially in the older parts of Granger that were built in like the eighties. Where now, you know, yeah, they're still in very nice houses, but there's an even nicer house two miles still further that's still in Granger, still in Penn District. And it was built in 2020 with more new, and you know, all the standards that people want. What happens to that 1985 subdivision? Right. It might right. have a very similar experience to the South Bend neighborhoods. I don't know if that will come true, I right? but it wouldn't surprise me if you started seeing Granger losing population purely because their kids are graduating. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then we can do a story or a, a, a series <laughs> more, more people Granger. <laughs> It'll be like the, uh, someone
1: else will write that
0: The, the NCIS <laughs> of West SB content. We'll just uh, do a travel around to different cities.
2: <laughs> Joe, when, when uh, I read, when I read the article, I had, a lot of questions um as you saw when i sent them over but i'm interested obviously we have more articles coming out where we're going to explore a lot of these lines of thinking that i think we touched on today but i'm curious like just coming out of writing this first article like what was the biggest thing on your mind in terms of kind of unanswered questions um after kind of swallowing what you had to say in this first first edition here
1: well i try i try to be humble about it because i don't know if i have the right I'm not, I don't, for one, I don't know if I'm always telling the right story. You know, I didn't live through the 1960s. And even if you did, you don't always know if you're getting it all. So it's, it's kind of daunting trying to tell the story of why 50,000 people essentially don't exist that should exist in a place. Um, (laughs) I, especially in, you know, five to six pages. So there's, there's that is it's, it's a humbleness that I could be getting some of this wrong. And I think there's been some good critique um, of it. Um, the other worry or question I have is, you know, is there anything the city could have done differently to stop this? And I don't know if I have a good answer on one hand, the, the urbanist in me who says you could have done X, Y, and Z to help neighborhoods like sunny that were desirable gate more households, which would have been a bulwark against um, areas, or you could have done the Fort Wayne route and really, really annexed, really, really focused on that. Um, but I don't know if those would have succeeded. They might've, you know, there was the argument at the time you had to lock neighborhoods like Sunnymead and Edison park and Twickenham Hills. You had to lock them in single family housing zoning because if you at all let density in or more density, I should say, um, or if you at all let uh, you know, duplexes or anything like that, in, it would deteriorate the neighborhood and then people would flee. I don't personally subscribe to that belief that that's, that actually happens on its own but people might think it would happen and leave um even if on the ground it was okay they could be scared you know so there there's that question in my mind is what is there anything we could have done to stop this south end was going up against national forces um that some cities did weather like fort wayne but you could even look at i'm sure I might actually do it. If you look at, I'm sure if you look at the 1960 Fort Wayne city limits, I bet they've lost population. They've just annexed a bunch. I know Indianapolis is a, usually like a poster child of the Midwest. Like that's what the Midwest, those are good. That's a good city in the Midwest. And Indianapolis is a great city. But if you look at the city that existed in 1960, before it combined with Marion County, it's lost population too in those areas. Um, Hmm. So it's is it could have been almost inevitable because just the forces were too strong for any city to push back on its own. Um, But that's what I'm that's what I think about when I read this is it's history now and we can look at it and we can try to figure out why it happened and and hope to do better in the future and be more equitable in the future with growth. Um, But is there anything they could have been doing then? Um, And we talked at the very beginning we thought there'd be these headlines stating these dire consequences. Well, there wasn't. And I actually found a quote from a city engineer in the 1970s when the 1970 census came out and they lost 7,000 people. And they actually said, they, they told the census you're wrong. You didn't count everybody because look, we have more, we have more water taps than we did in 1960. Um so they, they literally told the census they wanted. I think they actually got it like a revision upwards. Um, mm. It wasn't enough to make up for it. But because in their minds and they were correct, they had more houses than they did in 1960 on their city water. And they knew that and they thought that'd be enough. But from 1960 to 1970, each family shrunk. So there was probably maybe nothing they could have done to stop that and they thought they were doing the right thing at the time and they thought they had data showing they were growing and in one sense they were growing but just not in the total count.
0: Kind of makes me long for a simpler time when you can just say, "Oh, we have more water
1: taps. <laughs> we have more people." <laughs> and it's you know, it's interesting if if we I've thought about this, if we if the census would have been decided to instead be a total count of all the people it would have been a just a total count of all households. So, you know, all entities that live together, Mm. South Bend would look fine. It would look really bad from 2000 to 2010 and we'd all be freaking out. But from 1960 to 2000, it kept going up at a slower pace than before, but we'd be fine, but we don't report the census that way for logical reasons that, like we said, children are people, and if there's two spouses in a in a house, that matters. You know, or there are two people in a house compared to one that matters, and both people count. <laughs> um, But right. you could see a world where you just count households. We are
0: dangerously close to "children are people" being the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
0: like a, been our most consistent declaration. It's well, like I if think- people from more people with anything that's so that, it. So about the kids
1: and i think there's it's probably i keep coming back to that at least because this is you asked what was one of the surprise from the response how negative it was um and not negative towards the piece but just like oh yeah of course this happened because South Bent sucks and <laughs> i wanted to be like if you read the article it's actually like of the population loss was purely because people have less kids than they used to or don't have any kids at all when, you know, and, um, and it's like, so that's not really South Bend's fault. That's kind of happened all over the country that we have smaller households. So if anything, the piece kind of pushes back that it was as bad as it was, Um, which and maybe I could have written it in a way that, Frame that i i still think the fact that tsunami lost 600 people is a net negative but it's it's not a complete disaster um and i think it was just kind of surprising how like so many people were eager to like list all these reasons for why south bend declined in population when i don't think a lot of them really factored into it at all
0: right right yeah for sure and it was always people who
1: weren't in the city Which is, it's people from, I know, like, you know, I got personal feedback and anyone who lived in the city, I think was just really interested in it. And then, you know, I got the comment like, oh, I understand this a bit more now, like why the numbers were so big, you know? Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I posted it on my own neighborhood group. And I think it was, it ranged from interesting to, oh, that's, that's kind of sad that we used to have a lot more, you know people in this neighborhood i didn't know that um but then if if from someone who lives in outside the city it's like it was an opportunity to really trash it which i kind of feel bad about that i've started a, a product that has let people vent their frustrations but i think that's probably a consequence of of it being read widely
0: yeah it's definitely a consequence of it being read widely i'd like yeah when whenever i put out a piece that's like not read super widely it's it's all positive (laughs) (laughs) Uh, as soon as it starts to creep outside city limits it starts to get a little wild
1: and i think i i think it it probably just should be said i love this city like probably too much (laughs) um i i just i love living here i love the people who live here who've decided to stay here um I think South Bend has a lot of positives for it and, and negatives. I don't want to sugarcoat something. We, we have a lot of challenges. Um, we've seen those pulled out the last two years that were always there, but now they're, they've come to the forefront, which is a net good, I think. Um, but I'll be the first one to say, like, I'm raising my children here. I have no regrets about that. I think they're going to live a very good childhood here um, and a better childhood than they would in maybe some different type of neighborhood outside the city. Um. So it's it's not at all written to trash South Bend. Um. Yes, to understand
0: South Bend. Yep, and I think that the people, yeah, people who care about the city and people who live in the city, uh, understand that and read it and and can yeah appreciate that. All right, I think that is a good note for us. To end on here, unless Dustin, did you have any other questions?
2: No, I think started with the kids, ended on the kids. That's it. Kids <laughs> it's about the kids.
0: All right. Well, we are this. If you're listening to this, it will be either on this Thursday, which will be August sixth, or after. Our tentative idea is then um, a week after that we will have an article but we are not really into holding ourselves to dates like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm trying really so. hard, but I have to write it. And <laughs> I have a day job, which I do, you know, eight to five and then children and everything else. So it it, it might be, it might not make that Thursday dump, but that's the goal.
0: Yep. And if you're listening to this, it's a good chance that you've um, maybe listened to an episode of South, the non-purpose before, or you follow the website. And so hopefully you've gotten accustomed to the lack of time structure, so uh, you know we're gonna we are committed that we are gonna keep going with this series, and uh, that's uh, that's what we can promise right now.
2: Yeah, it's cool to chat to chat with you about this Joe. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it, and I'm glad we get the the chance to talk about it. Um, sounds like there's a lot more to explore as as these other supplemental uh, additions come out.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks to you guys, I think. Um, this is a medium I have no experience in. Um, so it's it's interesting to get the get the kind of the idea out across different platforms, so.
0: All right. If you have listened to this and you did not read the articles, it's a little hard to believe that you've listened to us for an hour and a half and you haven't read the articles, but just in case, you can go to westsb.com you can click on posts and they're both right there and future ones will be right there as well. And you can find the links to all of them in any of the posts. And you can also find this podcast on that website as well, which I'm assuming.